All right, so this morning we will be in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, and the title of the message this morning is The Supremacy of Love. The Supremacy of Love. And before we actually get into the Word of God this morning, let me open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the Word uh, together. Well, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this morning, Lord, this opportunity to come here together, Lord, to worship you. And Lord, we just pray that you would fill this place with the power and the person of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, fill us afresh, that you would clear our minds and our hearts to just hear from you, that your word would pierce our hearts, it would become flesh, Lord God, that we would leave different from how we came in here this morning. And whatever we brought in here, Lord, the, the heaviness that's on our shoulders, maybe the heaviness that's on our hearts, that we would just lay all those things at your feet this morning, that our focus would be on you. And we thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And um, it's interesting how I was led to teach the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I went specifically to that 13th chapter. Um, usually, I teach the youth group. And um, currently in the youth group, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And... We've been talking about the birth of John the Baptist. We talked about the birth of Jesus Christ just recently. We finally got through the first two chapters. It took a couple of weeks, but we got there. And um, one of the recurring themes that we've seen through the Gospel of Luke so far has been obedience. Obedience to God's word. Obedience to God's call. And the fact that you can have all the gifts in the world. You can have all the abilities that God has made available to you. But if you don't love God first and foremost, and the people around you that you're serving, you won't be obedient to God. You will not fulfill the call that he's put on your heart. And through the Gospel of Luke, you know, we've seen so far that we see this obedience through Zacharias and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary as they are faithful to what the Lord has called them to do, you know, to be the individuals that bring John the Baptist into the world, and the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ through Mary and um, through Joseph there. So today we're going to focus on the theme of love. And I know for me, uh, the Lord often has to remind me of the supremacy of love in our Christian race. Often we forget about the very important element or the very important factor of love. And as believers, there are certain things we don't want to be ignorant of. And there are six things here that I'm going to list. Number one, we don't want to be ignorant concerning the coming of the Lord. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18 speaks of this. Secondly, we don't want to be ignorant concerning Satan's devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Thirdly, we don't want to be ignorant concerning Israel's place in God's plan. Romans 11:22 speaks of this. Fourthly, we don't want to be ignorant concerning the Lord's use of typology throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10:1 speaks of this. Fifthly, we don't want to be ignorant concerning God's timing. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And then lastly, we don't want to be ignorant concerning the spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 talks about this. And this morning, this is actually very important to what's happening here in the church in Corinth, is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
and the supremacy of love. So that's our focus, like I said, is love this morning. And what we have to understand and what the Corinthians didn't understand is that love outweighs those gifts of the Holy Spirit and those abilities that the Lord can manifest through his Holy Spirit in our lives. And what I want you guys to do, I actually encourage you all to do this. I'm not commanding you, but I want to encourage you all to do this. But on your own time, I want you to look through 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you go through these sections of scripture, they will give you a nice background on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because these are things that we don't want to be um, ignorant of. Now, just a little bit of a background here concerning the first letter to the Corinthians. Now, remember, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And here you're dealing with a church body that the Apostle Paul fathered back during, it was like the latter part of his second missionary journey. And if you look at Acts chapter 18, there it gives you um, an account of his first visit to, uh, to Corinth. And he wrote this letter to them while he was in Ephesus. Now, the Corinthians, this was an interesting group of people. They were greatly blessed by the Lord, but they were having a lot of behavioral issues. Uh, you can think of them almost like carnal Christians, okay? And there in the church in Corinth, there was a lot of division. There was even sexual immorality taking place in the church. There was a lack of love for each other. There was also the abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically the gift of tongues. They were exalting the gift of tongues above all the other gifts. And when you think about the Corinthians, this was a group of people that were coming out of a pagan society. So they were accustomed to worshiping idols and the great wisdom of the world. Okay, And it sounds very familiar right, to the times we're kind of living in right now. And often, they were under the, the influence of other spirits other than the Holy Spirit. And if you could imagine, there was really not a complete understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit there. And I think maybe some of us can relate to this. Maybe we um, grew up in maybe a Pentecostal type setting or another type of setting where the gifts maybe would manifest in an uncontrolled way or there was just not a complete understanding of what those gifts were for and how they should be used. And the thing is, the true ministry of the Holy Spirit will always be in accordance to the nature of Jesus Christ, the only living example we have of God the Father. The Holy Spirit will always, always point us to Jesus. Uh, John 15, 26, here the Lord says, But when the Helper comes, and there he's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify, okay, or give evidence or give witness to of me. Now, today, Paul addresses this issue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to point them to something that is more superior to that, and that's love. And in fact, at the end of chapter 12, he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So this morning, the focus is going to be on love. And God willing, by the end of the, the teaching this morning, um, it'll have shaped and molded our hearts. And that way we can leave this place uh, filled with that love that the Lord has given to us so freely. 
All right, so 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 first, and then I'll continue on here. So here Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So notice here that Paul, right away, he starts talking about that specific gift of tongues. And like I said, this was a gift that the Corinthians were exalting above all the other gifts. Now, the gift of tongues, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, there it's defined for us, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Unfortunately, the Corinthians were abusing this gift. They were not using it in the way that it should be used. But notice that Paul tells them here in that first verse, you know, even though I have the ability to speak all the languages of the world, right? You think about this guy, he went on so many missionary journeys. And also angelic languages, right? There he's speaking of languages that are coming from a manifestation through the Holy Spirit. He says, if I have no love, it's just noise. And I love what Vernon McGee says about this. He says, chatter without charity is sound without soul. It's just a bunch of noise. And um, when I was thinking about this verse, it reminded me of, and maybe some of you played musical instruments at some point in your life. But I remember when I was in band, I used to sit next to the, like, the drums and like the cymbals. And it was just a bunch of noise, like cymbals and drums hitting. It was chaos. There was no order. And you could imagine this happening there in the church in Corinth. People in the church just suddenly speaking in tongues, just all over the place. There was no order. There was no understanding of what was happening here. And 1 Corinthians 14, 12 tells us, Even so you, since you are zealous or enthusiastic for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So what we see here is that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gift of tongues, are to edify the church, to build up the church, to encourage the church. But how is that going to help you? How is that going to build you up if you don't understand what is being said, right? And that's why we have to have someone interpreting that gift of tongues. But this wasn't happening there in the church in Corinth. And notice here that Paul is talking about love, right? Now, what is he referring to? Now, here he's talking about agape love. In the Greek language, there are four words that can translate to love, okay? The first one is eros, E-R-O-S. And that's like um, an exotic love or a, a sexual love in nature. The second type of love is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. And that's like a family love, like the way you love your siblings, um, your family members. The third type of love is philea, or I heard it said philea as well, and that's the love of man, right? The love, the way we can love each other without God's help, okay? So that's a noble love. And then fourthly, you have agape love, and that's the highest word for love. This is a divine love, okay? It's more than love in the emotion. It is love in the will. 
It is love that chooses its object. It is a definition of God, for God is love. To love in this way means never thinking of ourselves at all or self-denial for the sake of others. Now, agape love is communicated through the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit has been poured into your life and in my life. Romans 5.5 tells us, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this agape love is only possible through the Holy Spirit. We cannot love like that in our own power, in our own flesh. We have to have the power and the person of the Holy Spirit pouring out of us in order to love in that agape way. Now notice in the second verse here, he also says that love is far more superior than the gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries, God's secrets, knowledge, and even faith that moves mountains. And, you know, that's a pretty powerful statement. Can you imagine having the ability to understand all of God's mysteries, having the ability to have like all the knowledge in the world, having faith to do anything, but because you don't have love in your life, all of those things would be useless. And in thinking about this verse, specifically verse two, you know, one thing that's kind of heavy on my heart, a burden I have on my heart, you know, especially in the days that we're living in, you know, we've seen what the lack of love can do to a church and even to the leaders of a church. You know, I've seen a lot of pulpits turn into um, platforms for political rants, rants about the government, rants about the CDC, you know, rants about you name it. Um, preachers preaching without love and pointing people, people that are hurting to division and to chaos and not to Jesus. Know that the work of the Holy Spirit will always point people uh, to Jesus. And certainly we don't want to become a church where we're filled with self-righteousness and um, you know hatred and gospel bitterness. That's like the last thing we want to do. And that's why love is so important because the gifts that God has blessed us with, they're going to be useless if we don't use them out of love. It's, it's going to be a waste of time. And we don't ever want to lose sight of the love, right? The importance of that gospel message that's so important. Number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that Jesus was buried. Number three, that Jesus rose from the dead three days later. We put our faith in that message. We recognize we're sinners. There's an element of repentance in our life. That is what makes us righteous um, in the sight of God. And remember, the work of the Holy Spirit, the only way agape love can be communicated is always going to point people uh, to Jesus. Now in verse 3, notice that even if we gave everything away, and even if we you know, martyred our own lives, that if we don't do it out of love, it's going to be useless. It's going to profit nothing. And this kind of reminded me of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there in the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 16. If you remember there, Jesus was in the region of Judea, and a young rich ruler came to Jesus and he asked him, you know, what do I need to do to inherit life? And then Jesus tells him, you know, keep my commands. And then he tells him, I've done that. You know, what more do I need to do? And then Jesus tells him to sell all his belongings and give to the poor. And he tells him, you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says, come follow me. But then what ends up happening is this young ruler just walks away. He doesn't do those things that the Lord asked him to do. 
But could you imagine if he did do those things, but he did them not with love? All of that work, all of that sacrifice would have been for absolutely nothing because he was doing it for other reasons other um, than love. Matthew 19, 23 tells us, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And certainly we have to love God more than the things we have, the things we own. And it's not love that's the root to all evil. It's the love of money that is the root to all evil because money can be a blessing, right? We can use money to build God's kingdom and that should be our purpose. So furthermore, notice um, he talks about being a martyr, right? Giving up your life, dying for the body. But if there's no love, it's going to be meaningless, okay? And I think that's something we have to remember. It's not what we're willing to give up, but really how we love in the process. And um, we have to be careful because I think sometimes as, as Christians, as believers, we think that this life that we have in Christ Jesus is a life of sacrifices. What we're willing to give up, how much money are we willing to give up, how much time, how much energy are we willing to give up for the Lord? Um, but we have to be careful because often what is left out is how much we can actually love. And that's very important. And the word of God, if you look in the second letter to the Corinthians, the word of God there tells us to examine ourselves constantly. And, you know, over the years, as I've, I've grown in, in serving the Lord, you know, there's still a lot of growing I have to do. Um, you know, I've learned that, you know, I have to ask myself the question, you know, what I'm doing right now, is it to advance God's kingdom or is it to advance myself? And I think that's something we all have to ask ourselves. Because what I've learned is that ministry is, it's people. Ministry is people. And if you don't love people, then you shouldn't be in ministry. But that love is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And I, a lot of you that serve, you kind of know this. When you start doing things in your own power, ministry starts to become stressful. It becomes a burden. And you want to be away from people as opposed to being with people. And that's where we all have to be careful. And all of us in this room, if you've given your life to the Lord, your life's a ministry. You are a living ministry. Like the way you live everything, you're a living letter of recommendation for the faith. And we have to make sure that we're doing it out of love and not for anything else. Because the Lord knows our hearts better than we, we know our own hearts. And some things are like, oh, God doesn't know what's going on in my heart. He does. He knows everything. And um, we have to make sure we're doing it all out of love. Okay, so in the next few verses here, um, verses 4 through 7, what we're going to see here is what this agape love looks like in action and also what this agape love is not. Okay, so in verse 4, Paul continues and he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in inequity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what we see here is this agape love in action, right? And here we see that this agape love is long-suffering. And who's long-suffering? Well, our Lord, our Heavenly Father, is long-suffering. I love what we read in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. There Peter records for us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. And this is beautiful because God loves us so much that he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. And me personally, I'm so grateful for God's long-suffering. I think all of us can relate to that, his patience with us. And because without the Lord, I honestly don't know what my life would be like right now. And I think we all can relate to that in some way. And we need to be the same with the people around us, long-suffering with people around us. And I think, especially in the days we're living in right now, we often think that people that don't have the same views or values that we do, maybe they have a different political view, they have a different way of living, we often think that those people are the enemy. But the truth is, the real enemy is the hardening of our own hearts. And we have to be careful that we have that long-suffering and that love that the Lord has so freely given to us. Just as He's forgiven us, we need to be able to forgive others. But once again, that's only possible through the Holy Spirit because it's hard to do it in the flesh. You know, oh, that person wronged me. I can't forgive them. But in the Spirit, you can forgive them. And the Lord has made that available to all of us. Notice here that love is also kind. Okay, so... Having God's love allows us to display this through acts of kindness, right? And this one's hard, right? Be nice to everybody. Um, but once again, we have the helper. We have the Holy Spirit that can allow us to do this. Now, if you, re- if you notice here in that second part of verse 4 through verse 6, it tells us what this agape love is not, okay? So what we see here beginning in, in the second part of verse 4 is that love does not envy, okay? And envy, jealousy, is an awful thing. And if you think about the word of God, envy is what murdered Abel, Genesis 4. Envy is what imprisoned Joseph, right? Genesis 37. And envy, if you look at the Gospel of Matthew in 27, uh, verse 18, envy is what ultimately delivered Jesus to the cross, right? They handed him over because of envy. So instead, we need to think like John the Baptist. And we've been talking a lot about John the Baptist in the youth group. And when you think about John the Baptist, this was an individual, this is what he said regarding Jesus's ministry. He said that I would decrease and that he would increase. And when we do that, the focus is not on us anymore, but it's on Jesus. And there's no room for envy. There's no room for any of those feelings. And we have to make it about Jesus. We can't make it about ourselves. And that should be our heart every single day as believers. And we're able to do that once again through the Holy Spirit. Notice that love also does not parade itself. It's not um, puffed up, right? And we don't want to give love to be recognized for it, right? We want to give love because we want to give love, okay? We, want, we don't want to be praised for it. And I think sometimes we, we do things because we want to be recognized. And we have to be careful because God will never, ever share his glory with anybody. And we've got to make sure that we're doing everything in accordance to what he desires us to do. And um, you know, I'm telling you guys these things, and it's, it's easier said and read than done because it's hard every single day. And this is where you have to surrender and let the Lord use you in a mighty way. So also notice here that love is not arrogance, okay? It focuses on the need of others. And then in verse 5, um, Paul tells us that love does not behave rudely. So where there's love, once again, there's kindness. 
there's good manners, there's order. And then he also says that love does not seek its own. And uh, this is where we have to be others-centered, right? Not self-centered. And there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul writes, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's a hard one, right? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's what our heart should look like. And um, like I said, you, you hear these things, you read these things, somebody tells you to do these things, but it's, it's a very hard thing to do. But we have the Holy Spirit that helps us do these things. And notice here that love is also not provoked, okay? It's not irritated. And remember, when we provoke others or we were, ourselves are provoked, that's sinful. And in reading this, it kind of reminded me of, of Moses. Remember Moses when he was uh, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt? And uh, if you remember, they started complaining, right? There's no food. There's no water. Where are you taking us, right? They probably also said, are we there yet? But, you know, that's not recorded in there. But you can imagine he was so annoyed with them. And this is actually in Numbers chapter 20, if you want to read that, beginning in verse 2. And if you remember, Moses and Aaron, they go and seek counsel from the Lord there in the tabernacle. And the Lord tells them to get a rod, go speak to a rock, and water would come forth. But what ends up happening is that Moses becomes so provoked by these people that he's, you know, delivering to the promised land. And what he does is he actually strikes the rock two times instead of speaking to the rock. And what happens? Well, water does come forth. But unfortunately, because of his disobedience to God, it prevented him from being used to deliver the Israelites into the promised land. All because he didn't have the love necessary to be obedient to God there. He had all the resources. He had everything he needed, but he didn't have the love. And I think this is something that we can learn um, from Moses, right? So here we see kind of a, a, an example of typology here in the scriptures. So also notice here that love thinks no evil, okay? So it does not devise or store up evil thoughts. And I don't know if people still have these. I know when I was growing up, we had... um answering machine at my house and like the tape would fill up and you had to like replace the little tape or kind of delete the the messages and I think that happens in our minds sometimes we have a record of wrongdoings people have done to us and we keep a record of them and we don't erase them and the enemy likes to use that to mess with us and we're like oh no uh, I don't get mad right don't get mad but get even right like we say these things to ourselves and we we have to be careful because love does not store up those wrongdoings we have to erase that little tape that's in our heads and that'll allow us to forgive other people notice in verse 6 it says that love does not rejoice in inequity or in injustice right so love always wants the best for others and this is why um, if you look at the, that first letter in the 12th chapter um, there Paul tells us that when one part of the body is honored or um, is you know rejoicing the entire body does it together and same thing when one part of the body is hurting we're all hurting with you together as well. And notice that love also rejoices in the truth. So here in that sixth verse, you know, where he talks about um, love does not rejoice in inequity or injustice, right? We always want the best for others. 
Uh, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially you know, with everything going on. It's so unsettling the times we're in here in our country, but even in the world. Um, a good question to ask yourself is when you hear that something bad has happened to somebody that maybe doesn't have the same political views as you or the same values or maybe the same lifestyle as you, you know, does it make you feel good or does it make you feel sad? And maybe we say to ourselves, oh, that person got exactly what they deserved. And I mean, there are consequences to sin, but could you imagine if all of us got what we deserved from God? But praise the Lord that in Christ, because of the cross, we don't get what we deserve from God. And we have to be careful because sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, good, they got that person, finally. But really, we should be praying for that person, that their hearts are changed and, and there's that element of repentance in their lives. And only possible, once again, through that love that's manifested through the Holy Spirit, because we can't do that in our own power, in our own flesh. But if we really think about that question, and we do kind of have joy when bad things happen to people we don't agree with or maybe don't necessarily um, think, you know, that should happen to them. You know, we have to be careful. We really have to check ourselves because that's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of something else. And um, we have to be careful as believers. Now, in verse 7, notice here that he says that love also bears all things. And you can think of that as like love covers all things. And I love 1 Peter 4.8. I often refer to this verse. Um, here Peter writes, he says, Love all things have fervent, you can think of that word as intense, love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And I love this because this shows us that as brothers and sisters in Christ, when somebody wrongs us, we have the love to overlook those wrongdoings and to continue serving and walking alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, they have to confess those things to the Lord, right? Only the Lord can, can forgive them of those things. But having that fervent, that intense agape love for each other allows us to forgive each other as we do those things because we're going to hurt each other. We're, we're still in the flesh. We're humans. We're a family. Um, I'm going to hurt people unintentionally. Sometimes we do it in the flesh. So those are things that we can overlook because of the love that God has poured into our lives and is flowing out of our lives as well. Notice here that love also believes all things. Okay, so it, you know, it tries to put the best possible um, construction on actions and events. It hopes all things. So love will always have confidence in the future. We never say, I hope things get worse, right? We always say, I hope things get better. And uh, truly in Christ Jesus, we certainly have a hope and a future. So things will always get better. Don't lose hope. And then notice here that it says that love endures all things, okay? And I love what Spurgeon says regarding this. He says, if your brethren are angry without a cause, be sorry for them, uh, but do not let them conquer you by driving you into a bad temper. Stand fast in love, endure not some things, but all things for Christ's sake. So you shall prove yourself to be a Christian indeed. So one thing that really resonates with me in these verses here, you know, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, you know, it, what comes to my mind is just some of the struggles I've had um, as a caregiver, 
and I know a lot of you know this about me. Um, those of you that are visiting, I, I currently am a caregiver. I help care for my mom. She, she had a brain hemorrhage a few years ago. And also I've been helping my dad because he's currently going through cancer treatments. And I heard it once said that caregiving calls us to lean into love that we never thought possible. And for those of us that have cared for parents or loved ones, that is so true. And in my case, in our case, you know, that love that, there's, that that quote is speaking of is agape love. Love that is only communicated through the Holy Spirit. Because there's days where I don't have the love to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, to endure all things. You know, the love that I need to be obedient to God and to honor my mom and my dad. Days when I don't want to be a caregiver. I, I want to run or I, I just want to be a son. Days where I don't have that love. To do the things that God wants me to do. I do it out of grudging, you know, I do it grudgingly or I do it with a bad attitude. You know, oh, I have to do this. And that's because I'm doing it not with the love that God has poured into my life. And God is so good though, because he always gives you what you need to remain faithful to the purpose he's called you to do. And God has always come through for me. He's the only person who has never let me down. And God will give you that love to remain faithful to what it is that you're doing. I know in my heart that this season in my life, I will always be grateful for it. As hard as it has been, I will always be thankful to God for the privilege and the opportunity to serve and to honor my mom and my dad. And of course, him first and foremost, as I've answered that call to, to, to take care of my parents. And the only thing is, I did it because he gave me the love to do it. You don't just choose to do these things. You're called to do these things. Um, and that's, that's the hard thing to explain to, um, to people that have never gone through anything like this before. Um, but that love that he gives us, it just flows through us. And whatever you all are going through right now, because we're all going through something, the circumstances in our lives, whatever it is we're going through, God will do the same for you. He will give you the love that you need to continue enduring and bearing, hoping, and just continuing to fulfill the call he has put on your life. Because if you're still on earth right now, he's not done with you. He's still going to use you until your graduation to the eternal. And in fact, all of us in this room, if we've given our life to the Lord, 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that we have at least one gift. One gift. And, you know, some of us have multiple gifts. But our spiritual maturity, remember, is not a measure of our giftedness. It's a measure of our love. That is a measure of our spiritual maturity is through the love that God has given to us. So notice here um, in these last few verses, well, actually, let me read um, 8 through 12, and then I'll read the last verse in just a second here. But notice here in verse 8, Paul writes, he says, For to one is given, actually, that's the wrong chapter. Here we are. Love never fails. There we go. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Okay, so these verses here, verses 8 through 12, 
Unfortunately, these verses have been the cause for some division in the church. And what I'm specifically talking about is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And um, this is actually something I really wasn't going to talk about, but it was on my heart. So I'm going to talk about it. And um, you're probably asking me, well, what are you talking about here? Well, what I'm referring to is whether all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to the believer today or only some of them are available today. And when you think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, people like to divide the gifts into different categories, like the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, and like the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts. And the question becomes, are all of those gifts still being manifested in the church today? And specifically what I'm talking about is like the sign gifts or the miraculous gifts, okay? And I think the church body as a whole agrees that if you're a teacher, you're, you're a pastor, then yes, the gift of teaching is still available today. But what I'm talking about is like the gift of healings, the gift of tongues, the gift of miracles, for example. And some believers in the church think that only some of those gifts are available today, but then other believers believe that all the gifts are still available today. And why do we see these two views? And what do we believe here at Fresh Vision Church? So I'm going to present two views to you, okay? Um, the first view people like to call the completed canon view, okay? The completed canon view. And with that view, some believers believe that not all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available today. They believe that some of those gifts ceased, they went away at the completion of the canon of God's word, okay? And they're no longer uh, needed. They believe that these died away with the apostles. And when you think about the apostolic era, so before the New Testament was completed, um, the word of God came directly to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, there um, they write, the purpose of the sign gifts was to confirm preaching, right? So the authenticity of the apostles before the completion of the canon of scripture. And some like to use this part of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, um, to, uh, to support that stance. So I'll read it again to you. There it says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So that statement right there where it says that which is perfect has come, with the completed canon view, believers believe that means when the Bible was completed, the completion of the New Testament. And the gifts were no longer needed to authenticate any further revelation because the Bible was complete. Okay, so this is what we call the completed canon view. The second view is what people like to call the eternal state view. Okay, with this view, uh, believers do believe the Bible is complete. There's no further revelation. However, they believe that all the gifts are available to the believer today. Okay, and as we read here in verses 8 through 12, you can kind of think of it like this. Um, in the current time that we're living in right now, it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual walk. In other words, where you are in terms of your maturity, your spiritual maturity. You can think of this side of heaven, the time we're in right now, as a childish, imperfect time. And 
childish things are appropriate for a childish time. So the time that we're living in right now, the gifts are appropriate. And notice here that he says that when we grow up, we will no longer need those gifts. And so, for example, when we grow up, you can think of that as our spiritual maturity. We've met our spiritual uh, mature state. That is only possible when we're right with the Lord face to face, not on this earth anymore. And when you think about that, it's kind of like when you have a child. And I was thinking about my nephew. I have an 11-year-old nephew. I love that kid. His name is Tristan. But anyways, when he was a baby, he needed a bottle. I had to feed him a bottle, and I was always afraid he was going to throw up. Um, and I had him to his mom. But anyways, he had a bottle. Now he's 11. You know, he's not mature yet. But let's say, you know, he's 50 years old. He no longer needs that bottle. He can feed himself. He can eat solid food. So that bottle is only appropriate for that childish time. And you no longer need the bottle when you're 50 years old. And this is what we see here with this view, is that currently in the state we're in, we need the gifts. But once we're in the presence of the Lord, we won't need those gifts anymore. Remember what 1 Corinthians 14, 12 tells us regarding the gifts. Even so you, since you are zealous or enthusiastic for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So what we see here is that all the gifts, the purpose of those gifts is to edify or to build up the church, to point people to Jesus. So when you think about the time we're living in right now, clearly we still need to do that. We need to build up the church and point people to Jesus in the church age that we are living in. So those gifts of the Holy Spirit are only appropriate for that purpose, to point people to Jesus and to build up the church. But they will no longer be needed when we are in his presence, right? Right now, we're in this imperfect time, as Paul describes here in these verses. And we can only see Jesus in this unclear, um, dim image. And I was thinking about this. You know, yesterday, the, the men gathered, and, you know, we cleaned those windows. And um, it kind of reminds me of, it reminded me when I used to ride the school bus. You know, the windows on the school bus, they're disgusting. They're full of, like face oil, like popped pimples and makeup. But you can think of like, we're looking at Jesus through this unclear dim image. And every time we get into the word of God, as we're getting closer to seeing him face to face, we're like wiping away a layer of that filth. And then eventually that window will be gone and we can see the Lord face to face. We can have fellowship with him with absolutely no barriers. And here when Paul says, that which is perfect has come, which we can only see right now in an unclear, dim image, right? In this imperfect, childish time. That doesn't mean the completion of the New Testament, but rather when we reach our eternal presence state with the perfect one, speaking of the Lord, whether through rapture, whether through graduation um, if, of our, our uh, physical lives, like we die physically and, and go up with the Lord or his second coming, right? So at this point, is when all the gifts will cease, when we're finally with the Lord face to face. And here at Fresh Vision Church, we believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available to the church. The gift of tongues, the gift of healings, all of them. And I, you know, I, at the beginning, I had given you guys those lists of scriptures to read there so you guys can look at those um, on your own time there. But we believe that all those gifts are available today. If you look at Mark 16, verses 15 through 18, there Jesus speaking, he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, 
but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So here Jesus is giving his commission on the eve of his ascension to the disciples. And all of us in this room, if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And he has commissioned us to do this work, to go into the world and to make disciples of every nation, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he will provide everything we need to complete that purpose, which includes his divine power and his protection, right? That includes the power of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation as he sees fit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I like what Martin Luther says regarding this. He says, the signs here are to be used according to need when the need arises and the gospel is hard pressed. Then we must definitely do these signs before we allow the gospel to be maligned and knocked down. But the thing here is, these gifts will only be effective if we use them out of love and obedience to the Lord. So once again, here at Fresh Vision Church, we believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, but the purpose of the gifts is to edify the church, to point people to Jesus, and they will only be effective if we use those gifts out of love. So with that said, let me be clear here, okay? These issues of, well, the gifts are for today, well, they're not all for today, these are what we call non-essential issues, okay? And what I mean by that is, if you believe all the gifts are for today, or you don't believe all the gifts are for today, it's not going to jeopardize your salvation. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you believe that Jesus was buried, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later, you put your faith in that message, there's an element of repentance in your life. That, Romans 3.22 tells us, makes us righteous in the sight of God. Not whether you believe all the gifts are for today or whether they're not all for today. And that's why the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, among the other things that I, that I told you at the beginning. But both views, you know, the, the completed canon view, the internal state view, it's clear that the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are temporary in both views. But what is everlasting is going to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Right? Love never fails. And the supremacy of love is more essential than the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to remember, the gifts are temporary, right? They're tools or instruments for God's glory. But the love is the work itself. Love will never fail. And that's what Paul tells us in that last verse there. He says, or he writes, um, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is, um, is love. So the three greatest pursuits for us as believers is the faith, the hope, and the love, right? Not the power, not the miracles, not the, the gifts. Those should not be our pursuits. It should be the faith, the hope, and the love. And if you look in scripture, this is actually emphasized. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Galatians 5, 5 through 6. 1 Peter 1, 21 through 22, um, Colossians 1, 4 through 5, 2 Timothy 1, 12 through 13. But the greatest of these is love. That's what's going to last because really, when you think about it, when we're finally in heaven with the Lord, even the faith and the hope, those layers of our life can peel away 
because they've already fulfilled their purpose. We're already with the Lord. But what's going to be left behind is that love. First John 3, 2 tells us that we shall be like him. But what is he like? First John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know or have a relationship with God. For God is love. So until we see him face to face, let love be your pursuit. Okay, not the gifts and the miracles, all those things that are temporary. And remember that love is only communicated through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we allow that to happen, everything else will just fall into place. And it'll allow us to love and to serve one another and to be obedient to God's call. So in closing this morning, we talked about the supremacy of love. And remember, we can have all the gifts that the Lord you know, has made available to us. We can have all the abilities that God has made available to us. But if we don't have that love, all those things are going to be useless. It's going to be pointless. It's going to be a bunch of noise. It's going to be a distraction. It's, going to, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to point anybody to Jesus. The three greatest pursuits for a believer are hope, well, faith, hope, and love. Okay? The gifts and all those things, they're auxiliary to who we are in God, in love. And in his book, um, Calvary Chapel Distinctives, Pastor Chuck writes, we want people to see and experience the love that God has manifested in us. And furthermore, but most importantly, the Lord commands us in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let us continue to love the Lord and one another. Amen. So this morning, if you're joining us here in person or via the live stream, uh, maybe you don't have a relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. You haven't declared him as your Lord and uh, Savior. This morning, we do want to give you that opportunity. If that's you this morning, uh, if you could just close your eyes, bow your head, and um, just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, Lord God, this morning, I ask that you come into my life as my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried. And I believe that you rose from the dead three days later. Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner and in need of a Savior, Lord. I pray that you forgive me of my sins and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come into my life, Lord, and use me for your glory. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, uh, we want to welcome you to the family of Christ. I can assure you there is a celebration going on in heaven on your behalf. And also, uh, we want you to get connected. And if you have any questions, uh, what are your next steps, uh, please reach out to the church. You can see us after the church. Or if you're watching via the live stream, you could even leave a comment. And uh, we will get back to you um, as soon as we can.